And with that said, I'm also going to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 is where we're going to be studying from, looking at the word of the Lord this morning. So as you make your way there, a little bit of background that we're not going to have in our passage this morning, but I want to to lay out and remind you guys of some stuff that we've seen in other places in Luke before we get into it. So Luke chapter 7, we're going to see John the Baptist uh, kind of pop his head up again. And John the Baptist, uh, Luke 7 doesn't tell us where John is at this point. Uh, but what we do know from other places in Scripture, Matthew 11 tells us that he was in prison. Uh, Luke had alluded to that fact back in uh, Luke chapter 3. So maybe another uh, reference wasn't necessary in Luke's mind as he was writing out this story in Luke 7. But uh, John is in prison because he had uh, the moral courage to condemn Herod. Herod was uh, the uh, leader in that area at the time, and uh, Herod was doing some pretty immoral things. He had uh, married his one-time sister-in-law, Herodias, and uh, John the Baptist had stood up for what was right, and he had condemned that. And he made Herod mad in the process, and and Herod threw him in jail. So as John sat in jail, we are dealing with a prophet today who uh, had become increasingly confused, possibly frustrated, as he is sitting in jail and and hears the reports of Jesus' ministry because the reports that he's hearing didn't necessarily fit. It, It didn't jibe with the prophecy that he had given in Luke chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Let me read those words for you again as as John was teaching and and proclaiming that the Messiah was coming. In verses 16 and 17, he said, John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I. I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So on one hand, the reports that John's hearing about Jesus, they, they, they line up perfectly because he's heard marvelous miracles. Jesus is doing some incredible things that fit well with John's prophecy about the, incre- the incredible work of the Holy Spirit coming. But, but in regard to the other prophecies, see there were two in those verses, right? The other one talks about judgment coming and John is, is looking at Jesus' ministry and goes, where is the other part? Where, where, where's the judgment? Where's, where's the burning up of the chaff with unquenchable fire? See, none of that had happened yet, and John is, is perhaps confused. The Romans were still in control. The enemies were still in charge. God, what are you doing? So we have a doubting, possibly confused John the Baptist in this week's passage that we're getting ready to read, seeking answers from Jesus. He sends two disciples to to come and to meet with Jesus and to ask him some questions. So with that, we're going to read our passage from this week. Luke chapter 7, we're going to read verses 18 all the way down through 35. We're going to read the whole thing, and then we'll come back and, and digest it and talk about some things. So I'd invite you to read along with me from your copy of God's Word, starting in verse 18. It says, the disciples of John reported to him all these things, the the ministry that they had seen Jesus do in the previous verses. So summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? And when the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to ask you, to ask, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? At that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. 
And he answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. And when the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces. So what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And I say to you, one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. To what then shall I compare the men of this generation? What are they like? They are like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another. And they say, we played a flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Let's pray together this this morning, guys. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for John the Baptist and for his incredible ministry as he served as the one who would come before the Messiah, the the promised one that we had waited for, that, that the, the church, that the people of Israel had waited for for generations. And God, we now look back on and celebrate. God, we pray that as we look at John the Baptist questioning, wondering, God, what are you doing? God, we pray that, that you would help us to, to be willing to be open and honest about our questions, about our doubts, about our curiosities and wondering this morning, God, as you speak to us, God, we pray that you would help us to, to hear from you and to understand what it looks like to come to you and to, God, to seek the truth. God, we seek the truth this morning. We pray that you would, God, that you would speak to us, that you would work, that you, that you would do your work in our lives, in our hearts. God, we give this time to you and we pray that you would use it. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, well, let's go back and dig in a little bit. We, we see a couple of different uh, subunits in this passage. So the first one that we're going to look at is John's questioning. In the first six verses, verses 18 through 23, we see John's questioning. So as we look at this, we remember John is locked in jail waiting for the Messiah to come. The Messiah was the one that, that the people of, of Israel had been waiting for. They had been promised the Messiah is going to come. He's, he's going to be the one who comes and sets us free from the oppression that we've been under. See, the Messiah was commonly understood as the one who is going to set them free from their captivity, but, but the people in those days, they didn't understand fully what that meant because they were thinking that the Messiah was coming to set them free from political captivity. They didn't understand the spiritual captivity that Jesus was truly coming to, to deal with, to resolve in their lives, their captivity to sin and death and the grave. They just thought he was going to come and deal with Rome. So John is likely confused, possibly disappointed with Jesus, and, and he's kind of sitting there in jail 
because he has done the right thing, has stood up for what was true. He's sitting there probably wondering to himself, Jesus, why aren't you saving us yet? What are you waiting for? What, what's going on? What, why am I sitting here in jail and you don't seem to be doing anything about it? Are you really the Messiah? Are you really the one that, that we thought was coming to save us? So with those questions in his mind, John gets two of his disciples, two of his people who have been learning and, and, and following behind him. And he says, guys, go. I have obviously, John couldn't go. He was locked up. So he sends his disciples. He says, guys, go, go find Jesus. Go ask Jesus if he is the one that we're supposed to be waiting for. And so they come to Jesus and they ask their question. And then Jesus responds to the messengers in verse 22. He responds to the messengers in verse 22. He informed them that his actions were fulfilling messianic prophecies given in Isaiah. See, we can read that verse and maybe we don't make all the connections, but, but people during this time, they, they knew their Old Testament scriptures a lot better than we do. And so some of these things probably rang a bell for them. They went, oh, that, that sounds familiar. Oh, that one sounds familiar. So let me connect for you guys. We're going to read verse 22 and then make some connections. Luke 7, says that he answered, Jesus answered and said to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. In that little list, in that little set of statements, Jesus' response to John's question references at least four different places, four different prophecies in Isaiah that I was able to find as I was studying this week. When he says the dead are raised, he's referencing Isaiah 26, 19. When he says that the deaf will hear, he's, he's pointing back to Isaiah 29, 18. When he says the blind receive sight, he's pointing back to Isaiah 35, 5. And when he says the poor have the gospel preached to them, he's pointing back to Isaiah 61, verse 1. And that last one, Isaiah 61, is actually a passage that he read and spoke and, and talked about as he was giving his first sermon in the temple as he was beginning his public ministry. Bruce preached about that in Luke chapter 4 about a month or two ago. So Jesus references all these different things and Jesus sends John's messengers back to him with overwhelming empirical evidence. He, it, it says that he healed and, and, and did mighty works in that moment. They saw it with their own eyes. Jesus was changing lives. Jesus was making the blind see. Jesus was making the lame walk. Jesus was proclaiming freedom to the captives. But he also sends them back now with scriptural evidence, says, guys, don't forget this. Look, Isaiah talked about the, the Messiah that was going to come. How much more evidence do you need? I did these things, and I pointed to where they were prophesied in Scripture. This is an awesome validation, a, a, a reminder for John the Baptist. John, I am the one. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, John, I am the one that has been prophesied about. But you guys notice, Jesus doesn't offer any explanation as to why John's prophecies from, from John chapter 3, he talked about the Holy Spirit was going to be at work in the Messiah, but he also talked about the judgment that was going to come. Jesus offers no explanation of the 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 reason why the fiery judgment has been withheld. Nor did he offer any encouragement that John was going to be delivered from prison soon, that, that Rome was going to be overturned soon. But what he does offer is only a hint of encouragement. 
the end of this little section where he addresses John, there's this little simple beatitude that Jesus derived from Isaiah chapter 8. He says, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. The idea that Jesus is sharing with John and and I think is sharing with us today is what he's saying is, John, you and anyone else like you will be blessed if you do do not fall away because of your disappointment with the way that I choose to work. Don't be disappointed because everything doesn't follow your plan exactly. And so John took heart. John trusted in the fact that, all right, Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus knows what he's doing, and, and, and I can trust him even though I don't understand the whole plan. And he remains steadfast to the end. But John's not the only one who's ever felt confused. He's not the only one who's ever been disappointed with Jesus, right? Many people today, many people this year, we can look around. We don't have to look far to see people who are disappointed in the way that, that the world doesn't necessarily seem to fit their plans, Many people today say that they can't believe in Jesus if spiritual realities are his main interest. I can't follow a a God who isn't concerned with politics, some people will say. I can't follow a God who isn't concerned with the the, the economic suffering that that I'm dealing with. I I can't follow a God like that, some people will say. Some people will say, I I can't follow a God who's not concerned with ridding the world of of evil, of suffering, of of all the terrible things that exist in the world. If God doesn't fix all of those things and and fix them now, well, that's not a God that I can follow, some people will say. I've seen people who have professed to be Christians fall away from their faith, say, God, I, I just can't do this anymore, when they didn't get the marriage that they had hoped for, when they didn't receive the, the healing that they had prayed for. God, you can, you can fix this, so heal me, or, or heal my parent, or heal my child. Or, or... And when that doesn't come, they believe that God's not good, and they, they believe that he's not worth following anymore. They fall away. Some people, I've seen Christians fall away when they don't receive the, the prosperity or the comfort that they believe that they deserved. Today, as much as ever, we need to hear this beatitude that that Jesus gave to John. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. It's a a really simple picture, but it's something that, that helps me think of this and understand this a little bit better because John thought he had it all figured out. Jesus is going to come and and he's going to overturn Rome, and he's going to conquer our enemies, and he's going to do all these things. And when it didn't line up, didn't make sense to him, he was confused. To me, the, the, the best way that I can make sense of that in my own mind is, let's pause and think about how different God's understanding of the world is from our understanding of the world. We look at our situation, we look at our circumstances, and we think we know what would be best. God, if you would just do this and do this and do this, then, then everything's going to be better. But you know what? God is so much higher than us. God's understanding is so much greater than ours. God's ways are so much higher than our ways. The best response for us to give is, God, I don't understand, but I know that you're good. I don't understand, but I know that you're in control and that your way is best and and I'm going to trust you. And for me to stand here and stomp my feet and say, God, you need to explain it to me. Well, you know what? That's kind of the same thing as as me trying to explain some complex reasoning behind a decision that I've made to my children. My four-year-old 
follows me around, and, and he likes to ask why at this season in life. Why do we do that? Why are we doing this? Why are we going there? Anybody that's ever parented, you, you know that, right? You know that line of questioning. And sometimes I'll, I'll humor him, and I'll try to explain it to him, and he just sits there and stares at me and goes, huh? And sometimes the answer is just, well, because I said so, right? Anybody that's ever been a parent has had to say, well, because I said so, just trust me, that's what we're doing. Because to explain it to him is, it's not going to work. Because his little, simple, four-year-old mind isn't able to understand the reasonings of why I'm making me eat that terrible thing. I don't want to eat the broccoli. That's all he can see, right? His understanding is here and my understanding is here. Well, you know what? That gap is way bigger when we say, God, I don't understand everything that you're doing. What are you doing? God's in control. And what Jesus is saying here to John, what he's saying here to us today is, blessed is he who does not fall away on account of the way that I choose to do things. Trust me. Trust that that my ways are worth following, that I'm good. That's Jesus' response to John. Let's look next at Jesus' comments about John to the rest of the people that were there. We look at verses 24 through 30. We see this little section because, see, John the Baptist may have been disappointed and lacked understanding, but Jesus wants to make sure that the rest of the crowd, the rest of the people that were there listening to this interaction between Jesus and John's disciples, that they understand that, that John still plays a key role in the whole big story. Jesus' comments here make clear the important role of John's ministry. Let's read these verses again so that they're fresh in our mind. Verses 24 through 30. When the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces. So what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. If we look back for a minute, when, when the, the common people, when the crowd heard John proclaim in Luke chapter 3, John was, was proclaiming to the crowds, he said, Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Many of them, many of the people in the crowd in that moment were convicted of the truth that, that John was teaching, that, that they had a need and they saw their need. They, they knew that they were sinners deserving God's punishment and they knew that they needed to repent. We spent a whole sermon pretty much talking about that idea of repentance, but, but the brief version for you guys that, that weren't there, if you want to go back and watch it, it's a few months ago, it's on our website on the podcast center, check it out. But the brief version for you guys is repentance is a really important word in the Bible. It's a really important word in the New Testament because what that means is to do an about face, 
to, to, to make a complete 180. If I'm moving in this direction, to repent is to say, the direction I was going is not a good one. I'm going to completely turn around and I'm going to go this way now. That's what the idea of repentance means. And so as Jesus is, is calling people to repentance, as John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, what it was was people who were being baptized acknowledging what I used to do is not good. I want to do it God's way now. And as Jesus is talking to the crowds, as he's reminding them of John's role in all of this, to call people to repentance, to call people to turn their back on the, the way that they used to live, the, the way that they used to do what they wanted to do, the way that they just uh, sought their own desires and, and their own goals. And that way is not the way that you want to walk anymore. Go this way is what John would say. There were people that were going out, the, 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 the normal people, the people that knew I'm not good enough, would go out and would acknowledge that, and, and they were receiving mercy from God, and they were receiving forgiveness, and they were following in this incredible movement that God was doing. But you know who wasn't a part of that? The Pharisees, the religious people, the, 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 the religious lawyers, the guys who were all put together. They prided themselves on keeping the law, that they followed all the rules. They had actually made more rules so that they could follow those too. Jesus gave, God, God gave them ten rules, right, in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. Well, they had taken those Ten Commandments and turned them into hundreds of rules so that they made sure that they followed all of those rules exactly the way that they were supposed to. We want to check off all the boxes, and, and God is going to look at me, and God is going to be pleased because... I check all the boxes off. That was, that was the Pharisees' mindset. That was the religious leaders' mindset. And so when John talked about repenting on, on turning their back from the way that they were living and, and going in God's direction, they went, well, I don't need that. I've, I've got it all figured out. I, I'm the kind of person that God's going to look at and, and, and give me a thumbs up and a pat on the back. They refrain from the humiliation of baptism and repentance with John. And so Jesus is, is comparing and contrasting in our passage here in, in John chapter 7. He says, when all the people and the tax collectors heard this message, they acknowledged, God, acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected God's purposes, having not been baptized by John. What Jesus is doing is Jesus is defending John's role. He points to a key element that separated the common people, the, 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 the normal sinful people like me and you from these special religious Pharisees that, that thought they had it all together, they had all the answers. Those that were baptized by John repented and, and acknowledged their need for God's help whereas the religious leaders refused to acknowledge their sin. They refused to acknowledge their need for help. What he's telling these people as Jesus is addressing the crowd in, in Luke 7, he says, don't overlook John. Don't downplay John. Just because John had doubts today doesn't mean that everything up to this point is useless. John's message of repentance Turning our back on sin and, and turning towards God prepares the way for people to come to receive forgiveness, to receive grace, to receive God's work in their lives. Don't just throw 
John out. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? That's the saying. Don't just throw John out because he has doubts and because he has questions. Let's look at the last few verses. Jesus' rebuke now of those religious leaders that he was pointing out just a minute ago. Verses 31 through 35, Jesus uses a parable to warn the current generation of religious leaders about their response to John. Let's read those verses again. Verse 31, he says, To what then shall I compare the men of this generation? What are they like? They are like children who sit in the marketplace and call out to one another. They say, We played a flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come, eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, He has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. What Jesus is doing here is he's comparing these religious leaders to the ancient game of some children that they would play during this time. One person I was reading, studying this week, called this the parable of the brats. I thought that was fun. Jesus is comparing the complaining children in this parable to the Jewish objectors in this passage. So the parable is told from their perspective, right? So there are children who are seated and refuse to play. And as they refuse to play, they are now complaining that the others don't play along. John and Jesus don't dance to their tune. That's what Jesus is saying. Whether it's a a light tune of the flute or a funeral dirge that, that was supposed to elicit a response, these two men did not follow the Jewish leadership's desires. They didn't play the religious game that that the religious leaders thought they should play. So the religious grumpy people charged John with being demonic and charged Jesus with being a glutton and a drunk, having questionable friendships. What Jesus is doing here is he's confronting people whose pride and arrogance has caused them to believe that they had everything figured out. These religious people thought they had everything figured out. They had all the answers. Jesus, you don't play our game. John doesn't play our game. We don't like you guys. And so they started finding reasons to complain, right? They could never be pleased with the actions of others. And so John's asceticism, big fancy $10 word for someone who deprives themselves of things, usually for a religious reason. John John deprived himself of a lot of things. I don't need fancy clothes. I don't need delicious food. I don't, I don't need to live in society. I'm going to go live out in the wilderness so that I can focus all my attention on God. You know what the, the religious leaders did? They said, John's crazy because he lives over here. Then they came over here and said, Jesus is crazy because he, he eats. John doesn't eat, so he has a demon. Jesus eats, so he's a, a, a drunk and a glutton. You know what? That looks like people that that you really can't please no matter what, right? The true conflict for these religious people was not the habits of Jesus, not the habits of John. It was their teaching. See, their focus, the, the, the religious people that were being so offended in this moment, their focus was on their own righteousness, Their focus was on their own ability to to, to meet up to some standard that they had set out for themselves. But John and Jesus had both squashed that delusion. They believed that they were good enough on their own. John had said, no, 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 no. Turn your back on 
on what you used to be, you need help. You need God. You need mercy. You need grace. You, you, you need this Messiah that's coming to, to save you. They didn't like it. They thought that they were enough on their own. But you know what the Bible says about us being enough? You know what the Bible says about our good deeds? Book of Isaiah again. We keep going back there today. Isaiah says that, that all our righteousness is like filthy rags. I'd invite you to go look that one up on the internet. It's, it's not a pretty picture of what Isaiah is referring to. Even the good stuff about you is not good enough for God. It's not enough for us to, to, to try to act like we've got it all together. The difference between these religious people that, that found themselves in a posture of, of being enemies of God and all the normal sinful people that Jesus came to forgive and forgive and forgive and show grace and show mercy and show love, show acceptance. The difference between those two is, is that one realized their need for God and the other one said, I'm enough on my own. So let's wrap all this up. John, John the Baptist, the, the cousin of Jesus, who had known Jesus from before either of them were born, anticipated, he, he had a picture in his mind. He thought he knew what Jesus' road to glory was going to look like. He thought he knew Jesus is going to show up. Jesus is going to fix it all. Jesus is going to set us free from Rome and all of the junk. And we just get to, to enjoy God's work. But when that didn't happen, John had questions. John had doubts. How often do we fall into the same trap? Sometimes we expect God to do something a certain way, and when he doesn't, we somehow think that, that God has failed. We have expectations. Our, our expectations may cover a variety of different things. We, we may expect God to give us blessings and, 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 and know exactly what those blessings are. Well, God's going to give me this and this and that. We expect God to, to heal. We expect God to keep us comfortable, to keep us happy and content, to give us a life free of hardship. Any of the preconditions that, that we may bring to God and say, God, I'm going to worship you as long as you do this and this and that. I think they're dangerous for us. This isn't scriptural. This is just my opinion. So take this one with a grain of salt. But I think sometimes when we come to God and we stomp our feet and we say, God, you have to do it my way. You know what I think God does? God sees that in our character and he goes, uh-oh. They're going to have to learn another lesson. They're not quite as far along as I thought they were. Maybe they need a little bit extra opportunity to learn patience. Maybe they need another opportunity to learn what it means to, to trust me and to follow me. Maybe they've got it a little too comfortable. They need to be brought down to rock bottom so that, that they can learn the only place they can truly turn for hope is, is me. God cares less about our being comfortable than he does about our character. God cares less about us having everything that we want in this life. He, he cares more about our soul. He cares more about who we are at the core of our person. So sometimes that means we have physical blessings. Sometimes that means that things are, are happy and healthy and comfortable, but, but sometimes it doesn't. 
John's disappointment in Jesus, what are you doing? Why am I sitting in jail? You're supposed to come and set us free. Let's not miss the value of John's struggle. Let's not miss the value of John's doubts. Here we have a man of God needing reassurance that Jesus really is who he said he was. Sometimes we think that the great saints never doubted. And in doing so, we deny that they're normal people, just like me, just like you. The scripture is pretty honest about it. If we read the Old Testament, if we read the New Testament, if we read some of these, the, the, the real stories that are in there about people that we look at and go, oh, those are heroes. Those are people that had it all together. Well, you know what? Moses was a murderer. David was a murderer and an adulterer. He stole another man's wife and had the guy murdered to get him out of the way. Paul hunted down Christians and was having them put to death because they didn't line up with what he thought was right at that time before he came to know Christ. Scripture's pretty honest about the struggles, about the doubts, about the issues that people dealt with in the Bible. If you read the Psalms, you don't have to read far to find the psalmist saying, God, what are you doing? Why, why is this happening? You, the, the Psalms express doubts and concern and confusion and questions and all of those things really wonderfully and really clearly time and time and time again. Scripture is honest and open about the struggles of people, about the doubts of people, just like the church today probably should be a little bit better than we are. We like to act like we've got it all together. We like to act like we never have doubts, never have questions, never have concerns or fears. And that's simply not true. The way for us to deal with our doubts, the way for us to deal with our questions is to express them just like John did. However, with that expression of doubt, there's also an appropriate response that has to come with it. Because with that expression of doubt should also be an open and receptive ear that's prepared to hear what God has to say in response. It's okay for us to ask questions. It's okay for us to not understand what God's doing, but we don't get to do it with our arms crossed and go, see, I told you God wasn't good because blah, 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 blah. It's okay to ask questions, but, but it depends on the posture of our heart because I believe with all of my heart that God, if, if God really is who we say he is, if God really is who the Bible says that he is, you can't ask a question and go, whoops, we messed up the whole delusion. We messed up the whole trick. We showed everybody behind the curtain, God's not real because I asked this question. No, if God really is worthy of our worship, if God really is who we say he is, if he, he really is who the Bible says he is, you know what questions are going to do? They're going to bring us closer to him because they're going to reveal to us more and more of, of who God actually is, the, the fact that he loves us, the fact that he cares for us, the fact that he's in control. God's going to do his work, and those questions are going to bring us closer to him, not push us further away. But you have to ask the questions actually looking for the answers. You have to be open and honest. We, we have to be open and honest about our doubts. When, when we have doubts, God, I don't understand Help me understand. And then we, 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 we be quiet and listen because God's going to respond. The difference between healthy doubt and destructive doubt is not the presence of doubt. It's the response that follows it. So like Jesus said to John the Baptist, 
I want to finish with just reading you guys Luke 7, 23. Jesus said to John, who was doubting in that moment, Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Blessed is he who does not fall away because he doesn't understand what I'm doing. We don't always have to understand to know that God is good, to know that God is in control. John didn't always have all the answers, but he knew that he could trust the one who did. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up in just a a second. They're going to come up and lead us in one final song. If you have questions, if you have doubts, if you just need to talk to someone, I'm going to be around. Our prayer team is going to be over here on my left, on your right as we finish up. Come over there. They would love to talk with you or to pray with you. It's okay to question, but how do we respond to those questions? How do we respond in those moments? Would you guys pray with me? God, we thank you for your work in our lives. God, we thank you for always being there, that we know that, that when we pray, we have, a, we have a God who hears us. We have a God who cares. We have a God who, God who is there for us no matter what. So God, we pray that you would help us to trust and to look to you, even when we have doubts, even when we have questions. God, help us to be people who come and seek the truth of who you are. God, we pray that you would work in our lives. God, that you would give us a confidence and, and a, a faith to know that you are trustworthy, that we can follow you and that we can come to you with our questions and our doubts and know that you really are there for us. God, we pray that you would do your work in our lives. God, help us to trust you in, in new and glorious ways this morning. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.